Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Beyond the Buoy. My name is Captain Zach, and in today's episode, I speak with Nicole Baker of Net Your Problem. Nicole is an incredible person with a big heart for the ocean, so it was great to have her on the show and talk all about how Net Your Problem is getting old fishing nets out of the hands of fishermen and into the hands of manufacturers to then be turned into innovative products that we can use on a daily basis. Nicole is doing some awesome work, not only here in the United States, but around the world. So it was a pleasure speaking with her, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode of Beyond the Buoy. Well, Nicole, uh, welcome to another episode of Beyond the Buoy podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on, and you're with Net Your Problem. And Net Your Problem is just an incredible company working on sustainable fishing and, and getting rid of the fishing nets that are left behind. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little about you, and then we'll get right into uh, talking more about Net Your Problem. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Zach. Um, my name's Nicole Baker. I started Net Your Problem officially on January 1st of 2018 when I registered as a sole proprietorship. I used to be a fisheries observer, which is the scientist that goes out on commercial fishing vessels and collects information about what the fishermen are catching, where they're catching it, what size the fish are, what sex they are. And I became aware of the old fishing nets that were piling up in these fishing ports in Alaska through that work. And Okay. So now were you did you go to school at some point for, you know, fisheries management or sustainability? Is that like how did you how did you get into let's just start there. How did you get into becoming a, a fisheries observer? Because that's kind of a unique job that not a lot of people know about. Sure. When I was five, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. When we okay, went to cool. SeaWorld for a family vacation. Um, and when I asked the current trainer of the killer whales there how she became a dolphin trainer, she said that she went to school for marine biology. So I am not a dolphin trainer, obviously, but I did go to school for marine biology. I went to Roger Williams University in Rhode Island for my oh, undergrad that's right. degree. Yep, Rhode Island. I forgot about that. Yeah, Rhode Island. And then um, I did some stuff in between that was not necessarily related to marine biology. I managed a hotel in the Bahamas, for example. Um, But ultimately, I went to grad school at the University of Puerto Rico for my master's in biological oceanography. And I did my master's thesis on the conch fishery there. So conch is the shell that you can hold up to your ear and listen to the ocean. But in the Caribbean, um, it's something that a lot of people eat. If you've ever been on vacation in the Caribbean, they have conch salad, which is like a conch ceviche um, mm. that a lot of people eat there. So it's something Love that they- Love conch salad. It's so good. So um, good. But it's something that they fish using scuba diving. So we mm-hmm. were assessing the population of conch and if the management regulations had improved the status of the animal at all. Interesting. So, you know, and I, I, I don't know why that, that totally, you know, forgot from my head. I was, uh, you know, that you went to Roger Williams. That's, that's super interesting. My, my dad actually went to Roger Williams. So that's a cool little connection we got there, right? Mm-hmm. Little roadie. The um, smallest state. <laughs> the smallest state in the USA. Yeah, that's right. So in a very unique state, nonetheless, I mean, so, so many little islands in Narragansett Bay. And, you know, I was actually just fishing up by Roger Williams University um, 
uh, last weekend for schoolies, for stripers when they were coming in. Um, but that's super interesting. So you've kind of had a career that has been connected to the water, um, but you've done a lot of different things. So at what point did you start to say to yourself, all right, well, I'm going from research and you're out in Alaska, you're an observer, and now you're thinking that you, you see this problem and how can I help, right? So let's step back just a little bit. Did you go to Alaska for a certain reason because you were in Puerto Rico and now you're ending up in Alaska because of a job? Or did you just kind of send it out there and see what was going to happen and you just so happen to be a fisheries observer? Yeah, after I graduated from Roger Williams, I was looking for jobs as a researcher in marine biology and didn't really find a lot of options, to be honest. So um, the job as a fisheries observer only required you to have a bachelor's degree in you know, biology or some related field. Um, we did do a three-week training course, so they teach you what you specifically need to know to be an observer. But that was my introduction to Alaska. I went up in May of 2010 for the first time for that job. And I remember that I landed at the airport at like midnight and it was bright as day because in the summer in Alaska, you have a lot of sunlight. And it was right. just this totally surreal experience. But yeah, in 2010, that was the first time that I went to Alaska and it was specifically for this fisheries observer job. That's awesome. How how much of a culture shock was it going from, you know, the eastern seaboard of the U.S. to Alaska? Because having moved from the East Coast to Hawaii, that it was a, such a big culture difference. Um, and, and, and in a lot of ways, a lot slower paced. So it was something that I kind of struggled with a little bit. But was that any was it was it kind of different for you as well? I think the culture wasn't really it was really that different for me it was just the scenery and the nature was just mm. so impressive and one of the ways that I describe Alaska to a lot of people that haven't been there is just how wild it is um, you just see all kinds of animals and mountains and you know wide open areas with no development and it's just really refreshing I think for me um, mm. One of the other things that I that I feel pretty much every time that I go to Alaska is just the amount of opportunity that there is. So, you know, in the lower 48, we have all of the goods and services that we could possibly imagine. And when you go to Alaska, because it's so remote, especially some of the places that I've traveled to for this recycling job, is just, they don't have all that. So it really is wild and full of opportunity is how I would describe Alaska. Interesting. Yeah, I, I had a, there was a similar feeling to um, that living on the big island of Hawaii because, you know, in many ways, and, and it's, I heard there was a, um, I can't remember how they, how they worded it, but it was almost as if uh, they counted Alaska as one of the other islands, or they, they included Hawaii as like the third island of Alaska or something along those lines because there's so many people that were that would move back and forth between the two or they would that would be their like go-to vacation spot. So I had the opportunity to meet a lot of Alaskans while I was there and I and I totally got that feeling from you and it was interesting because having met so many people that are from Alaska 
they really do have that kind of wilder side or that, you know, that they're in tune with the environment around them. I would totally agree. Yeah, it's yeah. like when you when you're in Alaska, you're very aware of like the tides and the wind and you know, just things that here in Seattle I have no connection with at all. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it it there's always this this point of transition, right, for people that all of a sudden you're you're having you're in a job and you see some opportunity elsewhere. Where did the whole idea for, you know, recycling fishing nets come from? Because that's really an interesting way to look at something and say, hey, I want to take this, you know, discarded resource or maybe there's a problem there is to solve. And I'm going to I want to change that and come up with a solution to it. So what was kind of the process of, you know, looking at the fishing nets and saying, hey, I think I can make, you know, this better. For me, this is a very concrete moment that is etched in my mind. So I remember I was sitting outside of the Unalaska library, taking internet from them while they were closed when I was mm -hmm. in town. And I was reading an article about a nonprofit group that partnered with Adidas to make a sneaker out of recycled fishing gear. Was that, that was parlay? It was, yeah. Okay, yep. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment that, oh my goodness, fishing nets are made out of plastic and they can be recycled. Mm. So that was a moment when I thought, well, if they can be recycled, they should be. And I think I'm one of the few people that would know that this treasure trove of waste fishing nets exists here. So I should do something about it. Right. And, and, and what happens to, so kind of give us an idea of what the life cycle is for a, a fishing net, because, you know, obviously it, it has a job of fishing, but once it's done, where does it go? Like what happens to it when, when you don't recycle it? Well, what happens to it when you don't recycle it is that it probably goes to the landfill or it gets stored in somebody's front yard or in a storage space that you're renting. Um, a lot of times fishermen have areas where they keep, you know, spare nets or they keep their cod net while they're fishing for pollock or something like that. So that's the place where a lot of the gear can end up um, mm -hmm. if there's not a better option of what to do with it. So that's what Net Your Problem does. We offer a recycling solution for fishing gear if people would be so inclined to dispose of it in that way instead of storing or having it at the landfill right so in, in alaska um you're gonna have to refresh my memory because there's so many different forms of of fishing out there you know there's there's trolling there's trawling um entrapment in some ways as well but one of the large fisheries out there i think that many people think of is either you know king crab because of deadliest catch right awesome mm -hmm. tv show yep. um and then also salmon fishing right? Alaskan salmon. That's pretty well known with, within anyone who pays attention to the ocean in any form of capacity, right? So are these mostly being used for, what, what fishery are they being used for? Well, the gear that I've recycled from Dutch Harbor and Kodiak is primarily trawl nets, okay. which are used to catch pollock, which is the fish that you'll find in McDonald's fish sandwich or in fish sticks, this flaky white fish. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the other gear types that I'm starting to recycle are the lines from the crab fisheries that you mentioned, and then also gill nets and seines, which are used to catch salmon. So you did okay. pretty good. You got two out of three. All right. All right. Very good. Very good. I'm still, I'm a little rusty. I'm a little rusty. <laughs> um, well, that's very cool. So, you know, you see these nets, they're piling up. Uh, what is, you know, what was that starting moment? Because you don't just all of a sudden, or maybe you do, I don't know, maybe you took your, you know, whatever vehicle you were driving and started grabbing nets, like, or how did that, you know, all start to kind of come together? The nets you can't really grab with a truck. Uh, because right, because these things are huge, right? Huge nets, yeah. We're talking probably minimum of 5,000 pounds each. Um, so you what don't think I like did, a to- Toyota, Toyota Tacoma couldn't do that, you don't think? Uh, yeah, not mine. I don't know what kind <laughs> of mods you've made to yours. But um, what I did do when I first uh, went back to Alaska as a fishing gear recycler was to meet with all of the boat crews that I had met as through my work as an observer and told them about the fishing gear recycling service that I was offering, if they were interested in participating. They've got to get permission from the company bosses sometimes, but we went to the gear piles and sorted through what they wanted to get rid of, Um, and then that basically gets loaded into 40-foot ocean freight shipping containers with some pretty heavy-duty equipment uh, in order to move those big, heavy nets. But then once the nets are in the shipping containers, then they get sent to the recyclers. And are these being transported by by ship, by truck? Like, where are the recyclers located? Are they in Alaska? No, recyclers are located primarily in Europe and Canada. So the trawl nets get sent from Alaska to Europe, and then some of the gill nets and seines get sent to a recycler in Canada. Interesting. And and I got to ask, how is the response from the fishermen who are, you know, in turn kind of giving you these nets or are they giving you the nets? Can they, are they being paid for it? Is it kind of like a donation? Like, how does that, how does that work? Ultimately, I would love to charge everybody for recycling services. So that works in some places better than others. So in Dutch Harbor and Kodiak, it is a fee that the fishermen pay in order to recycle their net, just like they would have to pay a fee to take it to the landfill. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And so they pay the fee, the net gets put on a truck and the truck brings it or a ship or however it gets to, you know, to Canada. And where was the other place you um, said? In Europe. The recycler is in, in Denmark. In Europe. Okay. In Denmark. Interesting. So what, what happens to the net at that point? It gets mechanically recycled. So they separate out the net into all the different plastic components Um, It's primarily all polyethylene and polypropylene, but there are some pieces Mm -hmm. that they need to take out and basically wash it all, put it through a big grinder, melt it down, and then they put it through an extruder, which basically makes these long spaghetti strings of plastic that they then, you know, cut every so often and make little beads. So the the end product that the recycler has is raw plastic, raw polyethylene plastic that anybody who is purchasing plastic for use in their manufacturing process could purchase instead of virgin plastic. Interesting. So then what's the, what's the benefit or, 
is there a benefit for purchasing the recycled plastic versus, versus I'm sorry, versus the um, the recycled plastic? I think that's a decision that the company needs to be making about what kind of plastic they want to be using. Um, I would hope mm -hmm. that everybody would use recycled plastic and we wouldn't need then to produce any more virgin plastic from petroleum resources, but I understand that's not possible in all applications. Um, and unfortunately, the costs of recycling and the operations are not tied to oil prices like recycling, sorry, that virgin production is. So you have different mm -hmm. dynamics driving the cost of the different products. The price of oil basically is what drives the cost of virgin plastic. And then the recycling collection and processing and all of that is what drives the costs of producing recycled plastic. So you as a manufacturer hmm. just need to decide what type of products you want to make if you want to make products out of recycled products or not. Right, right. I, there, you know, there's, it, it's interesting to see, you know, what companies are willing to put their, you know, I guess, money where their mouth is, right? So you have these companies that may have a brand devoted to the environment and the ocean and so on and so forth. But are they really doing something to help, you know, help the ocean, not only just and not just use it as a way to market, you know, their brand. Right. So and, it, and it's companies that are going to do that and and make the changes and good changes like using recycled fishing net plastics that are going to stand above the rest and eventually you know hopefully kind of take the take the market share right yeah so i totally agree it's interesting to yeah right and, and and you know i i always say this on every show right vote with your wallet and and not and not just with a ballot because you know the ballot's important but you know with your wallet is really where you get to put your money where your mouth is and, and choose items and, and food and, and so on and whatever you buy and really try and, you know, make a difference with the, the decisions that you're making and not based on the decisions someone else makes. Right. And you um, totally set me up for this shameless plug. So we're doing, oh, okay. a, yeah, we're doing a webinar on June 3rd about this exact issue. Um, it's called Save the Earth Like a Boss. And the topic mm. is about greening your swag purchases. So okay. you know, companies have all kinds of swag and promotional material. So we're going to talk about why you should be choosing recycled products to represent your brand in your swag and give you examples of companies that are producing pretty common swag items out of recycled materials and hoping that people will, like you say, vote with their dollar and support those kind of products because driving demand for recycled products ultimately drives demand for the recyclers and it drives demand for our collection services. So if people do vote with their wallets and choose to buy recycled products, that really helps make the whole system more valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually just recently purchased for, for Beyond the Buoy and everyone is listening uh, some I guess you can call them, they're like stickers, but they're kind of like a cross between a sticker and a, and a decal, but they're actually made out of wood and there's a wood veneer and all of the components that stickered are either recycled plastic, um, environmentally friendly, even the adhesive glue is made out of, uh, you know, it's plant-based, 
So every part of it is 100% biodegradable, and the packaging that it comes in is all recycled plastic that can also um, degrade or be thrown into the, uh, a recycling plant. So just products like that, I totally agree. And that's an interesting webinar. I'm going to definitely have a link to that in the show notes and then also be a part of that. One, you said June mm-hmm. 3rd, yep, right? It's at 1 p.m. Yeah. Uh, Pacific time. Very cool. All right. So, you know, we, we've kind of identified the problem, right? So there's fishing nets, they're being tossed to the wayside or thrown into the landfill and you've solved this problem. But, you know, I kind of want to get like the bird's eye view, like what does it look like and what is the process that you're, you're coming up with to kind of connect all the dots and, and really help these fishermen, you know, do the right thing by, you know, recycling their net instead of just throwing it away. Yeah, I tend to look at myself as a broker, which is what I have on my business cards, recycling broker, because I compare my services to that of sort of like a real estate agent. You know, as a real estate agent, who is looking to buy a house and you know who is selling houses. And so your job is to connect those two people and make the transfer of that item, which is the house. And so that's a very Mm -hmm. similar thing to what I'm doing, where from my experience as an observer and, and travel throughout Alaska and other places to fishing communities, I know the fishermen and I know the material that they have to get rid of. And then at the same time, we have these recyclers in our worldwide network that I know what material they accept and in what condition that they accept it. So the idea is to basically connect those two. I know who has it, I know who wants it, and we facilitate the logistics of getting the nets from point A to point B. Interesting. So, you know, within this, you're you're really being, you're becoming, you know, integral into the fishing community. Are you guys doing anything to kind of, you know, get the word out there and promote that, hey, we're doing this because we want to not only, you know, be able to put less virgin plastic into our oceans, but also, you know, get rid of nets and turn them into items that can be then used to be, you know, help the ocean. So like in what ways are you guys really getting the word out there and creating this community of fishermen who are, you know, let's say, quote unquote, green, right? Yeah, I think a lot of it is traveling to the places and just having conversations with the fishermen. We also do presentations at industry meetings. So you have these groups of fishermen um, that they advocate for, you know, different policies or something that where it represents the interests of a lot of fishermen. We also go to trade shows. So we have one in November um, that I'm hoping is still going to take place this year. It's called the Pacific Marine Expo. It's like a really large fishing trade show for the west coast of the U.S. Um, They have a similar thing in Maine called the Maine Fishermen's Forum. So just taking advantage of these kind of opportunities to have these one-on-one conversations with people in the fishing industry and how you say, um, you know, this stuff gets turned into really cool products, that is something that really engages people on this issue. So a lot of times we bring to these different expos samples of the products that are being made out of recycled fishing gear plastic. Um, you know, LifeProof mm-hmm. just came out with a case. We have 3D printer filament. We have bathing suits, socks. So all these different kinds of products, I think, are what drive the message home to the fishermen that your old net could turn into this if you recycled it with us. So it's it's a pretty compelling story. 
to make and most people love the products yeah i actually um i spoke with a gentleman by the name of david from um Bureo. i think i'm pronouncing that right i don't know if you've heard of that i company. have yep yeah they're doing a great job yeah, making so, stuff out of recycled fishing gear plastic yeah they're doing a lot of stuff on the manufacturing side and they actually work with um, costa sunglasses which was very cool i have a I specifically bought a pair of the Untangled, which is all made out of, you know, recycled fishing gear. Um, and it's it's super interesting to see how, you know, the products that are being created are really no different than the ones that you would get made out of virgin plastic. But you're having this, you know, there is this, I guess, cloak of, well, not really a cloak, but really just being able to market that product is not only is it useful, but it's it's helping you know it's helping the the problem exactly out, right yep. so you know i notice on your map here because I'm, I'm actually looking at your website and and there's little recycling marks all over the united states and in fact over in looks like east asia as well um where have where do you guys you know collect nets because obviously it's not just in alaska i mean it looks like there's one in maine what florida hawaii um where are you guys collecting nets? Yeah, so Alaska was where we started and where we have active collection programs. Um, but we are working on collection programs in a lot of different geographies. So this week I actually hired a new representative for Net Your Problem in Maine. Um, so that's why the logo oh, is cool. there. We're going to work with the lobster fishing industry to recycle their old lines. Um, and mm -hmm. then we've applied for some funding and developed a lot of relationships and partnerships to start a program in the Florida Keys as well as in Indonesia. And then the one that you mentioned, that's Hawaii. I think that one might actually be American Samoa. So oh, yep, I'm sorry. that's okay. Yes, they have yes. a huge tuna fishing industry in the South Pacific. And so it's our intent to start engaging with the tuna industry in American Samoa to start recycling their gear also. Interesting. So you guys are kind of everywhere, you know, you're, you're making a difference, not only in Alaska, but, you know, across the world. And, and that's super interesting. And how has that been, you know, cause you had to start from somewhere, right? So you, you started with those first few boats recycling their nets and how has this kind of grown? What's the process look like from, you know, day one of having this idea to now you're getting into, you know, an international company, right? I guess the company was always international from the beginning because the recyclers were not based in the U.S., um, which mm -hmm. I think my lawyers and accountants would prefer that everything was in the U.S., but such is not the life of a fishing gear recycler. Um, but right. the expansion is basically happening as a result of opportunities that we identify. So the Florida and Indonesia ones both became ideas because there were funding opportunities that were available that were pretty related to work. So Net Your Problem is a for-profit business, but we are thinking about grant funding as sort of a startup capital investment. Um, that gives us, mm -hmm. you know, the equipment that we need. It gets the logistics of the program set up. And then the program that we design is going to be something that is financially sustainable and independent of that initial grant investment. Um, and then okay. the main idea was just we looked at, you know, the NOAA's 
list of top ports by landings just to see where a majority mm-hmm. of the fishing activity is happening and Maine is pretty high on the list. So there's a lot of lobster fishing activity, a lot of individual lobstermen, and therefore a lot of old fishing gear that is generated in that state. What's the reaction been from these guys then? Because, you know, I'm sure a lot of them are very, you know, excited to be a part of the community and, and have that option of, hey, I can, I can not only help um, by giving my net nets away, right, and recycling them, but... You know, at the same time, I'm creating these awesome products. Yeah, I think we've got about 20 individual fishing vessel customers so far, and I'm hoping okay. to keep growing that. Um, and I think you're right. People are really interested in the products that are produced, and everybody thinks recycling nets is a great idea. It's just about what we were talking about before, sort of voting with your dollar, putting where your money where your mouth is because recycling is not free. So people have to value what we're doing because it is a service and there is a cost associated with it that sometimes can be greater than what the landfill is charging. There are some places where the landfill just accepts gear for free. So if you really Mm. think what we're doing is a good idea and you wanna get your nets into these recycled products, then there is a cost sometimes associated with that. Right. So, you know, I think this might be a little bit of a harder question then because, you know, so many of these guys are, you know, how do you, cause like, you're right. You're, when you associate a value with something, it, it does, you know, it does come at a cost, but in a good way. Right. So how can we, how do you almost not convince, but you got to at some point kind of sell yourself, right? You're almost selling yourself. Like this is an awesome way to, be part of something bigger than you. How, how, what's your, you know, outreach program to these guys? How do you get them on board and, and, and want to, you know, share that brand with other people? Yeah, I think we are learning how to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. I just recently graduated from a accelerator program. That was the Washington state maritime blue accelerator program that, um, all of us in that accelerator were focused in the maritime industry And uh, what I learned through that program is that I actually don't have that great of what's called a value proposition. So just why am I better, cheaper, you know, faster, whatever, how I would convince people that they should use my services. But we're working on this. Um, One of our main points is that the recycling service is very easy to participate in. So basically all the fishermen need to do is identify the nets that they want to get rid of and we take over from there. Um, We cite a lot of statistics about the amount of resources that you can save um, by disposing of your gear by recycling. So you can save, you know, carbon emissions and other kinds of um, resources by recycling instead. Um, In a lot of remote locations or smaller communities, which fishing communities normally are in, you don't see them in big cities, uh, landfills can have limited space available. So any kind of diversion that you can do from the landfill is beneficial to that community as a whole. Um, And then we generally try to talk about the products, like you were saying, how Um, It's cool that your stuff could be turned into something else. So 
we're still working on the finer points, um, but I think we're doing an okay job of uh, convincing people to participate so far. There's also a lot of good PR that's associated with doing this kind of thing. And we're happy to share and do articles and podcasts like this one about the companies that are participating to help differentiate them in the market, how we were discussing that before. Mm. Well, no, I think you, you know, I wouldn't sell yourself, you know, sure. I think you do have a value add and a value proposition because, you know, you're kind of attacking on, on so many different fronts. You know, you have the fishermen, you can almost go to like the towns and you're discussing about how you're, you know, you're trying to uh, get not as much, you know, stuff in the landfill to fill it up. So, and, and not only that, but also the consumer, right? So there's a, it, there's a big circle and you guys seem to be hitting it on all points, right? Yeah, so um, I wouldn't sell yourself strategy. so short. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't sell yourself yeah. so short. I think that's yeah, awesome. And I think another thing that we're trying to do is be very creative about the stakeholders that we involve in financing all of this. So you mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. the cities and the um, the governments, they definitely have a vested interest in diverting material from the landfill. So they should help bear some of the costs of this. It shouldn't just all rest on the fishing industry. And one of the other things that we're working on right now, which might not be the best timing for, um, but is to engage the brands that are making things out of recycled fishing gear plastic to have them help financially support the collection efforts. And we're calling those our sustainable brands so that they would then uh, support the collection effort so they can trace that material kind of like from where it was collected to where it was recycled to what it was produced in. And I think that makes a very compelling marketing story. So we're hoping that some brands will be interested in that. We have one already, but we're hoping to grow. That's that part of our um multifaceted stakeholder approach. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, but, you know, within all of, because we can talk about, right, the business and, and the problems and, you know, there's always that that human side of things, right? And that personal, that little personal touch on the company. And I think a lot of that stems from, you know, who that person is and, and what it means to be doing what they're doing. And that person's you, right? And also your team. Um, but most of the most of the time it rests on the person who kind of has the vision. So, you know, growing up, I'm sure the ocean has always kind of had that that spot for you. Right. And and a lot of people that I've, I've talked to, the ocean is kind of that place of peace and tranquility and, and allows them to kind of step away and, and realize that, you know, we're, we're a small organism on this big earth. But at the same time, we can we can have so much impact and do so much good. So, you know, I guess the question really leads into is, is how has the ocean influenced you and, and what does it really mean to you? Because I have a feeling it means a lot. I'm not sure I can even put it into words, Zach. It's like, that's the part of my job that I love the most is when I'm, you know, in Alaska, in these communities, and I know when is high tide and when is low tide and being at a computer and managing spreadsheets about my accounting is the part that I hate, but it's that part that's necessary in order to be able to do the work that I love. So that's why I became the founder of a business. Did I ever see that in my future? Absolutely not. But it's 
a vehicle for me to be able to protect, yeah, the ocean that I just feel so comfortable and happy and in awe of when I'm around. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a hard one. What does the ocean mean? That is a hard one. I know. That's why I ask yeah, it. Because <laughs> I think it's pretty it's pretty intangible. Like you know that you miss it when you're not there, but when you're there, yep. you just like feel really happy and at peace. So it's like hard to put right. it into words, I think. No, it is. And and you know, I've had times where I've been away from the ocean for an extended period of time. And you almost kind of get like this weird feeling of and I hate the I, I don't like the word anxiety because I think anxiety is just a, you know, a, a product of your environment. And, but it's that weird feeling of, oh, well, where's the ocean? Like something that, that, that something is missing, right? That feeling of that there should be something there, but there's a void and you're not really sure what it is. And, and then all of a sudden you get to the ocean and you're like, oh, I understand. You realize I understand what why. was missing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, we're kind of coming towards, towards the end, but I always like, I always like seeing what, what was there ever a point in time, maybe a moment, a person, or some sort of experience that you had that really kind of put you on a path where you maybe weren't really expecting what was to come from it, but all of a sudden you, you can kind of almost wake up from it and look back and you can go, all right, that was the moment. And I know we talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, sitting at the library and reading that article from Parlay, but was there maybe a person or experience or, or maybe or maybe expand upon that moment that you had, but um, that really kind of put you on your the trajectory that you're on today? Oh, I'm not even sure what my trajectory is today. Um, I think it's just evolving. And I think I just, I just wanted to do something. Um, I just wanted to recycle fishing nets. And if I would have known what was, what the path looked like, I'm not sure I would have done it, to be honest. Because this whole, mm -hmm. like, being a businesswoman thing has been very eye-opening for me. Um, but... Yeah, in terms of what was the impetus for all of this, I think it is just we should be recycling. And mm -hmm. when I realized that fishing nets should be, could be recycled, excuse me, then I just wanted to do it. And I think it was at the library. And I spent a lot of time after that library moment, like I think it was two years, not, you know, every day, all day trying to figure out how to do this, but I would have conversations with people that I thought would know, you know, what to do about it. And it wasn't until two years later that I found that recycler in Denmark. So once I had identified that company that was willing to take the nets and recycle them, then it was like game on. Right, right. Well, I love the... You know, I love the simplicity in your answer in, in the sense that you started it by, I just want to recycle fishing nets, you know, and, and then to realize, well, just recycling fishing nets is way more complicated than just recycling fishing nets, you know, and I think, 
I think there's a lot of truth in that for a lot of things. And, and you, you all of a sudden start, you know, you find a, your, a passion of yours and it's trying to solve a problem that, but you're so passionate in the sense that it just starts to evolve and grow and, and really starts to fill the gaps in ways that you never thought were possible. So I really think that's awesome in the way that you, you know, you've kind of approached a problem that, that wasn't really being solved and, and maybe it was, and, and it wasn't being solved well, but you're finding a way to do that and you're overcoming all the obstacles that are incurred by that. So that's what you guys are doing is, is awesome. Incredible. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. I think my mom yeah. wrote me a card. Uh, we're big into writing cards in my family. I think it was like the I second yeah. anniversary or something of net your problem. And she said that you give business people a good name because I think mm-hmm. there is, at least for me, sort of when you think about businessmen or businesses, you know, this sort of idea that everybody is just trying to make money, as much money as you can. Mm-hmm. But I think businesses really do have the opportunity to do good, too. Um, if we can profit off of destroying the planet, we should be able to profit and support ourselves by doing good things for the environment. And so... I never saw myself as a business person, but I think it's a really good way of enacting change as a business. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's some of the most important change, right? Those small changes lead to big changes and big changes lead to, you know, movements. And, and you're right, you know, for such a long time, business kind of had this very weird, you know, stereotypes associated with it. And and we're seeing this evolution where people no longer want to support the big name brand that is, you know, pumping plastic out like it's nothing and, and you know, polluting our environment. They're, people are now willing to maybe spend that extra buck and, and really support a brand that is maybe not as big, but is making a difference that's substantial you know, compared to the, the company that is, you know, polluting our environment and, you know, in, in turn kind of destroying it. So I think you're right. And, I, and I, I have a feeling that the next 10 years or so, we're going to see more and more companies doing something very similar to net your problem and, and manufacturing is going to switch. And, and it's, it's going to take time, but it, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's the three P's, the people, planet and profit, not just the one P profit. So yeah, I'm glad to be one of those companies, and I'm glad to associate or partner with any companies that are valuing the same things that we do. I like that. I had never heard of the three Ps, <laughs> but I'm going to steal yeah. that from you. They've got these good, like, Venn diagrams <laughs> awesome. where they're, like, all overlapping, you know, the three circles. So we want to be right in the middle. Yep, yep. And I think I think most companies want to as well. And it's just a matter of finding that and and being able to execute on it. So, well, um, you know, Nicole, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, where can, where can people get to know you? Where can people find you? We have a website, so it's netyourproblem.com. And then on the website, we have the links to our Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. That's the three social media profiles that we're currently maintaining. Um, and my email is on there. My phone number is on there. Anybody is willing, sorry, anybody is able to call or email at any time. Happy to chat with brands that are interested in supporting collection efforts, people that are interested in purchasing recycled products, fishermen that might have gear to get rid of, 
no matter where your geography is. I think that's one of the great things about podcasts is that even though, you know, you're based on the East Coast and I'm over here, that there is probably a global audience for this. So just because we don't have recycling programs where you might be located doesn't mean that we can't start one. So we're willing to have conversations with anybody who's interested. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Nicole, thanks for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on and, uh, you know, hope to speak with you again in the, in the near future. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Beyond the Buoy. It was a pleasure having Nicole on the show. And if you'd like to learn more, go to the links in the show notes. We have the website, their Instagram, Facebook, show them some love, show them some support, give them a like, give them a follow. And if you'd like to support the show, head on over to our website, beyondthebuoypodcast.com. You'll find some awesome merchandise over there that's going to be going up pretty soon. Also, like us on Facebook. Give us a follow on Instagram. Awesome content goes up there almost daily. And uh, yeah, always remember to work hard, do good, and be incredible. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Have a great day.